The word for today, Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as dead head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Mom. I couldn't say Mrs. Maxim. It was too weird. Well, church, uh, this morning, we, as we look at this text, we are going to learn about what it looks like to be thankful for one another and to pray for one another. As Paul prayed for the saints in Ephesus, there's just a need for them to have an awareness of how great and amazing God is. And so he expresses his thankfulness and he prays, and it's really a a pattern for us to be praying for one another. And we want to pray for one another because there's a reality that though we try to kind of put on the happy face, there's discouragement uh, that we experience in our walk with Jesus. Uh, Author Daniel Henderson uh, said this. He said, half of all believers say that they do not feel They have entered the presence of God or experienced a genuine connection with him in the past year. We experience challenge. We experience difficulty in our walk with God. And you might might have heard that quote and been like, "That's, that's me. I feel that discouragement. Well, God wants to speak to you this morning. And God wants to speak to us as a church so that we can strengthen one another, so that we can encourage one another, not just with our words and texts and notes, but encourage one another as we get on our knees for one another. So I'm just going to stop right now and pray again because we need God's help. So let's pray. Father, I ask God that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. I ask God that you would show us Christ afresh, that you would show us his magnitude and his power and his authority. God, you need to open our eyes. Would you open our eyes this morning that we would behold wonderful things out of your word? We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Paul starts by thanking God. So he says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in 
the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so we want to follow Paul's example by thanking God for evidences of grace that we see in others, specifically that we see in his people. Evidences of his grace. So he sees faith and love. We see in, in verse 15, he's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love toward all the saints. That's really just a little microcosm of the Christian life. Like we've trusted in the Lord Jesus, trusted in his saving power. If you've not trusted in Christ, I'd encourage you to consider Christ as we talk about him and respond to him by repenting and believing in him. But Paul has seen this, and I see this in you, a response to the gospel and your love towards all the saints. John 13, 35, Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I, I see that in our midst all the time. I see that in you all the time. I've seen it this week. I saw it yesterday, the love that you have for one another. And he thanks God and he thanks God, and he tells the saints. So both. And this is a pattern in Paul's life. Paul does this in his letters. He even does it to the Corinthians. We won't turn to 1 Corinthians, but you can trust me, you can read it this afternoon, 1 Corinthians. Like, that church had some issues, okay? There was some rampant sin in that church and some jacked-up relationships and some, some need for lots of growth. But Paul looked at them through the glasses of grace. He looked for God's grace. And God calls us as a people to be ones who are looking for his grace in the lives of others. Now, there's certainly a temptation for us in our day to look for faults. Because when we're, when we're struggling, particularly when we're struggling in our walk with Jesus, we're, sometimes we, we're trying to look for something that's going to going to boost us up, and we can perceive that other believers, they're doing just great. They're doing amazing. Because, you know, they, they post on fake book uh, the, the pictures of what's going on, right? And you're like, they got it all together. And so we can have this, this tendency in our hearts to kind of look and find like, oh, there's something going on with them. Ah, found it. Their life sucks worse than mine. But Paul does the opposite. He looks for evidences of grace because they abound. And he wants to articulate them. Rather than looking for the failures of others, he's looking for the successes or the ways in which God is working. And that does two things. That does the one thing, it does help our hearts, particularly if we're in conflict with someone. It certainly helps to look for evidences of God's grace working in them and to thank God for that and to thank them for that. But also, it bears the fruit if we thank God and then thank them if we let them know. So Paul's thanking God, and he's there. Someone's reading this for them. He's thanking them. It builds up the body because we need built up. We need to be encouraged. And so we're going to respond to the truth of God's word like right now. I want you to get out your phones. Normally I tell you, silence your phones, shut them off, put them in your pocket. But I want you to get them out right now. Okay, this is not the time for you to text your mom, though you can do that later and you should give her a call. I, I want, I've got a slide here of, of some uh, questions to ask you. So um, it's 
right there. Um, I have a, so action step. I want you to, you can just text one right now, but here's two categories. Who has, who in your life has faith towards Christ that encouraged you? So Paul looked, he said, see your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love towards all the saints. Somebody in your life, you're like, man, I just, I'm, I'm stirred by their walk with Jesus. Maybe you want to text them right now and tell them something like, I thank God for your example of faith toward Christ. Or maybe there's someone who's just displayed the love of Christ to you in your life. You want to text something like, I thank God for how you display the love of Christ. So I wrote it out there because some of you are like, I don't know what to text. I don't know how to, you got it right there. No excuse. So right now on your phone, text somebody. It's okay if like phones start dinging all over because I know you love each other and you're probably texting each other, but you want it. You want to text, text somebody and, and let them know right now. I thank God for your example. <laughs> Don't you love it when you go to text someone and they already texted you first? It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the person I texted because they love. And of course, because they, they already loved on me. Friends, would we, would we display this example of encouraging the saints? So we certainly want to pray for the saints, but let's, let's thank God. So articulate when you're on your knees, thank God. Your time of prayer isn't just for you. It is for you to also go before the Lord for others in our local church. Because that thankfulness actually, it, it leads us to pray even more for the saints. When we start by thanking God for someone, whether there's someone that's just met a need for us or whether it's someone maybe that we're kind of at odds with. I was encouraged by a pastor some time ago, years ago, I was struggling in a particular relationship, didn't know how to handle it. He's like, hey, have you been praying for them and thanking God for them? I'm like, what do you mean, thank God for them? I'm tempted to pray the imprecatory psalms right now. He's like, no, start by thanking God for them. See what God will do in your heart as you pray that way. Let's make this a practice as we are a thankful, thankful for one another. Well, we're thankful for one another, but we also want to ask God for illumination. Look back at the text. So he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, Paul's not, Paul doesn't first go to the particular need that they might have, because they would have had needs in Ephesus. They would have been experiencing opposition of, uh, for their faith or the, just the evil that existed there, the world needs this that existed there. But where does he start? He's praying for illumination. He prays that their eyes would be opened, that the eyes of their heart would be opened, open to his truth. We see this happen in Scripture a number of times. Whether it's Lydia in the book of Acts, her eyes were open to the truth of the gospel, or maybe Jesus as he's walking with uh, those guys on the road to Emmaus. Remember uh, there in Luke 24? You know, they're talking with him, and 
It says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So he opens their eyes, but immediately they say to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So Jesus opened their eyes to who he was in that particular conversation that he had with them. And we want to ask God to open our eyes, but we want to ask God to open the eyes of the saints. We want to be praying for one another. Because John, in John 17, 3, Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that you know, or that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus prays that. Want them to know God. Paul's following in Jesus' example wants the saints to know God, praying that you would know God. And we often don't seek God or we don't know God because we can have an inflated view of ourselves. Even though we know Jesus says that he's the vine, you know, we're the branches, we can't bear fruit apart from him, we are breathing the air of selfishness. Modern, you know, just philosophy through the ages or, or the, the, the message of the day is know yourself. Bless yourself. Discover who you are. It's very self-focused. And when we are self-focused, it really kind of hinders our walk with Jesus. One author, E.W. Bullinger said this, he said, instead of breathing life-giving air, instead of breathing this life-giving air of heaven, their windows are closed, their doors are shut, and they are asphyxiated with their own exhalation. They are breathing over and over again their own breath from which all vitality is gone. That's kind of a crazy picture, like closing yourself and having no oxygen, like shutting the windows. But that's what happens when all we do is focus on us. There's something that God does when we turn our attention to others, when we turn our attention to others when we pray. And when we pray for things like opening our eyes to who Christ is and how great our God is, There's life that comes in that because the greatest need, as Don Carson said, one of the greatest needs in the church today is this. The one thing we need in Western Christendom is a deeper knowledge of God. We need to know God better. That's what he says. We need to know God better. That's that's the greatest need that we have. Sometimes the greatest need feels like the fact that our month is going to not end yet before the money runs out. Sometimes we think the greatest need that we have is uh, to be looked well upon by others. Sometimes we think the greatest need is for our 401k not to be taking a tank, you know, in this season. There's many things that we think is our greatest need, but no, our greatest need is to know God and to know him more intimately, as Paul says. Praying, he says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. 
Paul said in Philippians, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That was his passion, was to know Christ. Because knowing God more intimately bears fruit in us. As we know God more intimately, it changes us. As we talked about God's character in the book of Isaiah, and as we bring up God and who he is again and again, it makes a difference. J.I. Packer noted this in his book called Knowing God. He says that those who know God, he, he observes four characteristics in those who know God. Here's the four characteristics he observes. He says they have great energy for God. He says they have great thoughts of God. They have great boldness for God. And they have great contentment in God. Do do you, like, as I read those, you're like, "I, I I want some of that. I want more boldness. I want contentment in my life. I want to have grandiose picture view of God in my life. And then we, when we do, brothers and sisters, and as we get to know God and pray for our brothers and sisters to experience that knowledge, of it, it changes us. It, it stirs us to share that news, to share that news with one another, to share that news with others who don't know Christ. Because we see their lives and we're like, we have the answer for you. So rather than this kind of mustering something up, you're just going to want to like, you won't be able to keep yourself quiet because you're like, I've got to tell you about this. You're seeing it all wrong. And I'm aware as we, we go to this passage and we talk about asking God to open our eyes, some of you are like, yeah, I've, I've wanted that. I just don't I, don't, I don't feel like I get anything when I read God's word. Maybe that. Maybe you feel that. It doesn't do, it doesn't do anything for me. I, I don't know if I want to go pray because it just doesn't feel like anything happens. I just kind of feel like I'm talking to a ceiling and it's kind of boring. Well, God's word instructs us. Psalm 119 says, says something that we can pray. You can pray this today. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So before you come to the word, just ask God, God, open my eyes. He, he tells us to do it. Paul prays for the saints that God would open their eyes so we can pray in faith and trust that God is gonna open our eyes. And as we come to the truth of God's word, oftentimes God is speaking to us, not just because he's got something to say to us, but God wants to use us to say something to someone else. We can even be selfish with our time with the Lord. Like we read, we read the text and we're like, that doesn't, that doesn't do anything for me. Or maybe there's some days you're like, oh, that really convicts me. And that's, that's a really good time with the Lord because he really convicted me or I have peace in my heart. But you know, there's times where you open the scriptures and you read it and you're like, um, I'm not discouraged, but like, what's that for? I don't know. Was that for me? I don't, I don't. Sometimes your time with the Lord is because he's preparing you to serve someone else. This happened to me just yesterday. 
Actually, it happened to a friend of mine just yesterday. I was the beneficiary. He went before the Lord in his time with the Lord, and he read a particular psalm. It was a short psalm, and he was kind of like, huh, I don't have any like immediate application here with this word. I don't, I don't know what to do with it. Well, Lord, I just trust you. I thank you. And because he's just a godly guy, you know, he, he wasn't discouraged by that. Little did he know he's going to get a text from me like five hours later, and I'm just communicating with him. I, I, I had a moment of discouragement about something, and I just was making him aware. And right away, he texted me back. He's like, oh, hey, I read something this morning. Hold on a second. I'm going to go read it again. He gets like four verses. So it was a quick text back. So he goes, he reads it. He goes, oh, you don't, I got to tell you this. I read this this morning, and I thought, I'm not getting a whole lot out of this. And I realized God wanted me to read it for you. And so he shares it with me, and he shares a, a, some encouragement with me. I go, and I read the text, and I am encouraged. Friends, our time with Jesus isn't just for us. Oftentimes our time with him is so that God is equipping us and preparing us to be an encouragement in our homes or be an encouragement in our workplaces or be an encouragement with the saints that you're working. I'd say at least half the time when I'm like in small group and we have a time where someone's sharing something and I share something encouraging, at least half the time. The scripture that I share is something that I read in the last couple of days. That's not a coincidence. God wants to use you to be an encouragement, to be the vehicle in which he opens the eyes of the saints to see wonderful things about him. And what, does, what do we see in this text that he wants us to see? We see he wants us to know more clearly the spiritual blessings that are found in the gospel. Look back at verse 18. That you may know what is the hope which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So he wants us to see hope. He wants us to see the, the riches of his glorious inheritance. He wants us to see the greatness of his power. He wants us to see this, this hope. One John, uh, chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We have this hope that one day we're going to be like him. We're going to see him just as he is. It's all going to be complete. But right now, God wants us to pray. Now, I want to be like Jesus. Is that one of the prayers that you pray? Now, I, full, full disclosure, I can come with my list of my needs the felt needs, like when you roll out of bed, the things that immediately come rushing to you, whether it's the pain in your body or the discouragement that you're feeling in somewhere. And, and God wants us to share those things and, and ask. And Jesus teaches us to pray to the Father and ask to have our needs met. Certainly we should pray for those things. But let's pray that we're more like Jesus, that, we, that he works in us, that we become more like him. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters that they would become more like Christ today. God, work in my brother in Christ. 
Work in them that they would become more like Christ. If you're wondering how to pray for others, here's, here's some great things to pray for them. For, because when you think about what Christ did, we can hit all aspects of life. Christ endured those who mocked him and shamed him, and he did not revile in return. Christ endured suffering. Christ loved. Christ served. As we think about Christ, we have, we have a template of things to pray for, for our brothers and sisters. And God wants you to experience that as well. So we have this hope and then an inheritance. And we've, we talked about that a little bit, right? Back in the first part of the chapter, we learned about these spiritual blessings that we are given. We learned about being adopted. We learned about being forgiven. We learned that Jesus is going to unite all things in him. And we learned that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So even as Paul's praying, he's kind of pointing back here. Here's some other things that you can review I want you to know the inheritance that you have. I've told you about it. I want you to know about it. Remind yourselves of it. Remind the saints of it. Pray that for them. Would they know their inheritance? Lord, would my sister know the inheritance that she has in Christ? Knowing who we are in Christ changes everything. That's the most important thing about us. That's our identity. So let's pray that we'd be aware of our identity. Because that's my friend. I had a couple of friends yesterday text me, and they just texted me reminders of who I was in Christ. This isn't who you are. They just texted me truths that encouraged me. So when you think of others, text them in the encouragement. If you're thinking about someone, just assume the Lord wants you to communicate that to them. Because no, no one has ever said, oh, Jamie, I just received too much encouragement today. No one has ever sat in my office needing counseling because they received too much encouragement. No, what, what, do, we, what do people say? No one, no one thinks about me. No one cares. I don't even know if God cares. God wants to use you. God wants to use you to encourage them over there and you over there to encourage those in the back. He wants to use you you. And he has used you. So we can be vessels of his grace communicating about his inheritance, this hope, communicating about his power and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. His power is available to all the saints. His power is available to you. His power is available to to your brothers and sisters, and we need to remind one another. Remember the context of what's going on in Ephesus. We talked about this uh, a number of weeks ago as we talked about the setting and the context. They, they lived in a place that was really pagan. Some of them who were hearing this for the first time had dabbled into magic and worship of idols and worship of the emperor. They'd opened themselves up to evil, and those who've encountered that world of demonic activity, they live in fear. And we can encounter the evils of this world and be tempted to live in 
fear. And Paul's like, no, I want you to know something. I want you to know who is the powerful one. You need to understand who's the powerful one because here's here's what's true. God raised Jesus from the dead. The power of his resurrection. He raised Jesus from the dead. How many other people you know that? Oh, maybe you could tell some story or maybe some fable, but you know what? This one was raised from the dead and he stayed up. That's the kind of power that God has at work in you for those who are in Christ. That's that's the kind of power that God is working in you. He dwells in you. Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So you need not fear, brothers and sisters. We don't need to fear death. So even Paul, as he's going through this, he's, he's praying, and then he's kind of transitioning almost to praising. He's praying and praising. That's why your time with the Lord can have singing. You can sing and praise him. You can pray. It's kind of one and the same. Both are happening together. And when you're alone, no one's listening to you. Right? You can, you can sing as loud as you can. And God loves the sound that you make. Even if you don't love the sound that you make. Because when you become aware that God's, God's working his power in you, the power that was so strong it rose Jesus from the dead, you're not going to keep quiet. You're, you're just not. You're just like, what? that power is available? Yes. Yes, it is. And he's working in you. You see the change in your life? That's God working in you. And he points us to Christ. Look back at the text. He says that Jesus is seated. And look, look at verse 20. He's seated at his right hand in the heavenly places. So we've learned about his, the power that God displayed at Jesus' resurrection. And, and Jesus is seated at God's right hand. Why is that significant? Like when we set the table, right, we just find where we're going to sit. We're just glad if our kids uh, put the food in their mouths and not on one another and on the floor. It doesn't matter where people are sitting. I'm just glad they're still at the table, right? But, but there's a significance to seeing that Jesus, that what that means is there's a place of privilege. There's a place of honor, there's a place, in a sense, that where influence can be had. Hebrews reminds us that, that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he made purification for our sins. We learned about that. We're forgiven a couple weeks ago. We learned about our redemption and his forgiveness. But if Jesus is seated at God's right hand, that means there's, there's nothing between him and the Father when he goes to intercede for us. God's not going to miss something. Jesus is in the, in the place to intercede for us. He's in a place 
Not that he doesn't manipulate God, but he's in that place where he intercedes for us. No one is like distracting his prayers. God's not going, you know, I, did, I missed that one. Can you speak up a little bit? No, he's right there at God's right hand. And he has favor with the Father. So the one who intercedes for you has God's highest favor. Think of that. Like these things just kind of, you just make your brain, it's hard to wrap around the, the goodness of this. This is so good. We want to be praying this for, for we want them to know. This Jesus who you've trusted, he sits at God's right hand. You can't get any, any higher than that. He sits at the top place. He's enthroned. He's on the throne and everything is submitted to him. So he's not just, he's not a figurehead. He's not one of these monarchies that it's just in name. No, he has authority. Look at, look at back at your Bibles. He's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. All, all means all. There's no question in the translation from the original, and this is all-encompassing. So is there, is there anything in your life that tempts you to, to fear? Everything is, is under Jesus' purview. All rule, all authority. And then he says, you know what? Even if you're wondering the vastness of Jesus' authority, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He's in charge now, and he's always going to be in charge. We, we don't have to wonder, is he going to make it past the election? Is someone going to dethrone him? So much conversation about the election and who's going to be in charge and who could be in charge or, or who should be in charge. It can, it can do things and stir things in our hearts. Brothers and sisters, look, we, we should just close that and go, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Oh, and he put all things under his feet. Everything. That brings peace. Lord, would you do that in, in us as a church? Would we see that? There's even one commentator pointed out, if you were to go into Ephesus today, you could see the statue of a Roman emperor by the name of Trajan among the ruins in Ephesus. He ruled after Paul's lifetime, but you can catch the spirit of the Roman rulers at his time. The statue shows Trajan's foot on top of, a, on top of the world, giving the idea that he was a god. So he's not around anymore. There's just kind of this statue that's probably beaten up. Compare that to the picture we see in verses 21 and 22. There is only one who has all things under his feet. There is only one. And he has everything under his feet. Everything is submitted to him. 
so you can trust him. We can trust him with the smallest of problems that we have and the greatest of difficulties that we face. Our hope doesn't have to be in the results of any election or the cycle of the economy because everything is under him. Every bank, every business, every king, every president, every governor, every police chief, every authority that you can think of, every parent, every teacher, all is under his authority. Think of the peace that that just brings. Because this life is, is, is brief. And he's, he's reigning now, though we may not see the fullness of that reign as we navigate this life, but when we see eternity, when we enter into eternity, we'll see the full effects of his reign. So oftentimes we need one another to pray for one another, to encourage one another. Just look up, look up. Don't look down at today. Look up to that day. Not, not just this day. We're, you know, we're going to live today, but look at that day. We're going to fully realize that. And until we do, we know we are safely found in Christ. And lastly, Paul talks about him being head over the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the only, the only group of people, the only body that Jesus identifies with. This one that I've just described. There's so many things that we could write down that we, we can't write them all down because they're just so magnificent. But he identifies with the church. He's the head of the church. Not the leadership that we see in the church, not a pastor, not elders, not the small group leaders. No, Jesus is the head of the church and he's the one that fills the church. That's why the local church is important to us. Why is this local church important to us? Not because we're looking to find some kind of, you know, club to be a part of. We don't become a part of a local church so that we can find some measure of significance in being part of an organization. No, we, we are, we're part of a local church because Jesus is the head of that church. That's why we love the local church. We're part of the body of Christ, which speaks to so many things, speaks to the function of different gifts that we have. Different parts of the body need to work together. And we want to pray that we understand these things. So the church is important to us. God's mission is important to us. So the seeing missionaries go out and share the gospel, that's important to us because Jesus is the head of that church. That's why loving our brothers and sisters maybe in other local churches in this area and other places is important because Jesus is the head over that church or over churches that God might call us to be a part of to plant. That's why we, we even have, we talk about dedication. We, we care about the future of the church. If Jesus doesn't come back, if God doesn't tap him and say, it's time to go back, we want to make sure the gospel continues to go forward. That's why we want to invest in the kids, invest in the younger generation. Because he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all.
Friends, in closing, I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to have a prayer meeting this week. Not a prayer meeting that we've put on the calendar where we're all going to show up in the same place, but you're going to go to your small group or you're going to go back to your house. Pray. Pray with your family. Gather some folks from your small group when you gather. Take some of your small group time and just open up the Bible to this passage. Let the scriptures be the launch pad for your prayers. Pray for those in your small group these things because they're right here for you. If you're wondering, I'm not sure how to pray for you. You don't have to say that anymore. Actually, I know how to pray for you because I know if you get this, it's gonna change your life. It's gonna change the way that you pray. Daniel Henderson said this. He said, prayer becomes transformational when we embrace the original and enduring context for all praying. When we fix our heart first on the majesty of God, on the person of Christ, the purity of his word. When we do that, it excites within us an appetite for him. Our very motives for prayer are changed and elevated beyond anything merely earthly. Our heart is renewed with a longing for his glory. Friends, I guarantee if you make a practice of praying this, for those that you love, praying this for others in our church, you're gonna wanna pray more. God's gonna do something in your heart. That you're, the burning, the burning that those disciples had as they walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus is gonna burn in your heart a passion for his glory. As you pray this for your kids, there's gonna be a, a passion for you to pray more for them. As you pray this for others, you're gonna see God do that in them. And then you're going to tell them about it because you'll be like, hey, God's working in you. I see God working in you. May God continue to grow us to be a church that is thankful to God for one another and a church that is marked by prayer where we encounter our amazing and living God. Let's pray. Father, Father, there we have covered so much truth today. We've covered so much truth today, and, and I feel right now the, the temptation to just kind of walk away and say, that, that's just too big for me. I ask right now, Lord, that you would settle our hearts. That as, as we come before you in song, that you would remind us of a truth that we have studied this morning. And turn our hearts to praise and turn our hearts to prayer. Father, your servant Paul prayed these words for the Ephesians and for the churches that he had the privilege to serve. And I 
pray, God, for us, that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know the hope to which you have called us, what are the riches of our glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. I ask this, Lord, for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well,